Well, thanks again for being at Grace. Hope you're enjoying our service. Can you believe it? Like two weeks before Christmas? Is that wild? Crazy. Yeah. Boy, that just, that really snuck up on me. I don't know about you guys. Got your shopping done? Okay. Well, I feel better. Well, that's good. That's good. Oh, oh, that reminds me, Christmas coming, if you're, if you're a teen infused, I have something for you. Everybody else, tune out. I'm out here all alone, waiting to be found. I'm sitting near a tree on the cold, hard ground. I'm pretty low, but don't look any higher. If I lived where I sit, I'd most likely be a flyer. All right, enough for that. We are, by the way, welcome, I know that didn't make, as a little cryptic for some of you, but welcome Bloomville, welcome Paulding, we're glad that you're here with us. And we're in a series uh, called Jonah, we're going to get right to that in just a moment. You've been hearing a lot about Kalahari, and, uh, and I got to tell you, and we probably don't emphasize this enough, Kalahari, Kalahari is led by our church, it's, it's the biggest event we do as a church, even though it's run by our student ministry, Fuse. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal event. We've worked very hard to, to make it affordable and also life-changing. And I'll just warn you, in, in, this year and then next year, after that, I'm not sure we're even going to be able to do it because we're going to renegotiate a contract, and, and that just, it may not be feasible. I know the price is going to go up, maybe double or something. It could be crazy. We may bow out. I don't know. But this year... It, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're a teen, it's the best thing we have for you to grow closer to Christ and also for you to invite your friends or to have somebody make a decision to follow Christ. And so if you have a teen, I mean, this is it. This is the best thing we have. Don't miss it. I think because we do it, I mean, think about it. There's 2,500 students, 2,500 teenagers show up to this from all over the state. And I know for us, it's, it's kind of old hat, and we might just take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. It's the best thing we have. Don't miss it. We actually, uh, in doing that, we have, here's one of our students, and we'll tell you a little bit about how Kalahari impacted his life. And again, this is a video that will show at Kalahari, so that's the way it's worded. That's how it's used, but I wanted to, to throw it in so you can see, uh, see the impact today. This is, this is Josiah Cook. Josiah Cook, and I'm a senior at Fremont Ross High School. I play baseball, I'm a catcher, I'm in the drum line, and I play bass right on the stage in Fremont, Ohio. Growing up, my family went to church, but while we were never really Christians, we never really knew Jesus as our personal Savior, and I felt kind of dragged there, and I don't even really know why we went. Like a lot of you, I know what it's like to live in two different households. My mom and dad got a divorce when I was nine, and we stopped going to church soon after that. Freshman year, Lauren Falco invited me to Fuse. I would Fuse as the student ministries at my church in Fremont. And I didn't really like it at first, and I felt really uncomfortable and I didn't want to be there. But it wasn't boring like the other churches I had grown up in, and the music was really cool, and that really drew me in because I'd played music my whole life. 2016, I went to the Kalahari retreat, and we were talking about being undefeated. 
and that changed my life. I had realized there what Jesus had done for me, and I realized that he had died on the cross for my sins and given me grace and mercy that I don't even deserve, and that no love would ever be greater than that. I accepted Jesus into my heart, and I realized that my first priority should always be pushing people towards Christ, and at that moment I felt God telling me to tell as many people as I could about Jesus. I tell people about Jesus at school and I invite them to church and I post on social media about how we should all tell each other about Jesus and I put on Snapchat about how we shouldn't let our reputations get in the way um, of telling people about Christ and we really shouldn't do that because like people could be gone tomorrow, tomorrow isn't guaranteed and we should tell people about Jesus today. Because of what Jesus has done for me, I want to go into ministry. And God has allowed me to do very well in school. And I've been accepted to Grace College, Liberty University, and Cedarville University. I'm grateful for the trials that God has put me through. And I know he'll steer me in the right direction with picking a college and with the rest of my life. I want to rise up and reach my generation for Christ. And I want you to do the same. Kalahari is all about life, life change. We pre appreciate Josiah's uh, testimony there. And again, uh, if you have a team, it should be priority one uh, that they're there. As I said, we're, we're in a series called Jonah, wrestling with God's heart for the lost. And, uh, and of course, this is, the, this is the story in the Bible where people are going, whoa, whoa, Kevin, this is the guy who was swallowed by a giant fish. You expect me to buy that? And, and it's like basically... You believe that there is a God who can work miracles at certain point in history or not. And of course, if you believe the Bible, you believe this happened, as I do. And we're going to pick this story up. Talked about it last time. What happened is this guy who's a prophet of God uh, named Jonah in Israel, he's called, he's actually called to go preach against this city that's the capital of their brutal enemies uh, that, uh, that control them. So, that's what's happening. That, it starts off this way in Jonah 1. We talked about last week. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. You know, like when the word of the Lord came, the music was right behind that, you know. Only we expect the hallelujah chorus, but it's actually that. All right, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And so God calls Jonah, and then Jonah does what a lot of people do when God calls them, is he heads the other direction. And so we were talking about last time where he's over here in Israel, and God's telling him to go to Nineveh. It's really not that far by land. And so he's called to go there, but he didn't want to go. That's the enemy. He doesn't want anything good to happen to them. So he, he goes to a coastal city, Joppa, gets on a ship, books passage for the farthest port that they have on the Mediterranean, which is Tarshish in Spain. So basically, he is heading as far away from what God has told him to do than he possibly could. And while he does that, then God stops and brings a great storm, such a great storm that the professional sailors that sail all the time, they're a little freaked out and they know, hey, this must be a God thing. They start crying out to their gods. Nothing's happening. They expect everybody to cry out. Jonah's, in the meantime, down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. They confront him. They cast lots. Everything points to Jonah. He's the guy causing this. 
They start understanding, you know, asking him his story. He tells him a little bit about himself, says he's running from God, and God is the maker of the seas and the land. And they're kind of like going, how could you do that? And then they're praying to God, what should we do? They're asking Jonah, what should we do? And Jonah says, well, just throw me over and everything should be okay with you guys. And at first, they don't even want to do that. They keep trying to get to land. They can't. They've already thrown their cargo over. All their profits are gone. And it's, it's a matter of life and death. They pitch Jonah over into the sea and then everything gets calm. And about the time everybody's going, wow, that worked. Hey, great. Everybody's okay. Boom. Jonah gets swallowed by this huge fish. And then God redirects him. So that's what happens. We run from God, but God doesn't give up on Jonah. God could have just said, okay, let me grab somebody else here. God pursues Jonah. And then this fish, after three days and three nights, brings him back. Israel and vomits him up on the beach. And, uh, and that's Jonah 2.10. Jonah, Jonah, so that's chapter one. Chapter two is Jonah's inside the fish. He's praying to God. And then after, and he finally sort of gets a repentant heart. Not all the way. It's still half-hearted. Fish vomits him up. And again, we're reminded by that. Uh, Jonah 2.10, last verse in chapter two says, and the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. And we're reminded what we were saying last time, discipline from God. When we're God's followers and we get out of whack, God promises he will discipline us. He will discipline those he loves, just like we discipline our children for their good. But discipline is not to pay us back. Discipline from God is to bring us back to him. And that's exactly what happened with Jonah. It's to bring Jonah back to his original command that God had given him. Now we're starting in chapter 3, and it starts out this way. If you want to grab your Bible, uh, uh, maybe one that you brought, or you could grab one from the chair rack in front of you. Jonah's a little hard to find toward the end of the Old Testament, so you could go to Matthew, work your way back if you want to get there, or look in the table of contents to find it. But uh, we're going to start Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It goes like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, do you get the picture now? He's been vomited up on the beach. He crawls to land, and here the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. Again, God is into second chances. Who, who's grateful for that? I am. Yeah, God, he's a God of a second chance, and probably none of us has run as far as Jonah, but he died uh, for our sins, all of our sins, and he's always opened us to come back to him. And then here's what he says, verse 2. So God says again to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Sound familiar? Yeah, this is the exact thing that God told Jonah originally, before he rebelled. It's the same, and that's kind of the way second chances are with God. A lot of times when we rebel against God in some area of our life, we go off doing our own thing and we get kind of comfortable in that rebellion and then, but we'll miss our relationship with God. Although if you're a believer, God hasn't gone anywhere, but we don't feel close to God because we're off out in left field. And then we'll want to come back to God, but what God's want is he, he always wants us to come back, but he'll bring us back to... 
Because what will happen is we'll want to come back to God and feel that closeness while we're in our rebellion. But God says, no, come back, feel the closeness, but stop the rebellion. Repent, turn back to me. Quit being stubborn in this area of your life. And that's what God does. Stop, repent, turn back. And he's waiting for us to do that. And, and so Jonah is struggling with this. And then verse 3, so Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And the three days walk there, that's not the distance from Israel to Nineveh. They're talking about the size of the city. And scholars don't really know if this meant it took three days to walk around the city or with the crowded streets of the city that was so big, it took three days to actually walk through the crowded streets of the city. But what we do know is there's over 100,000 people in Nineveh. And so he's there. And, uh, and then Jonah, verse 4, began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he doesn't even get halfway in. And then he has, in the Hebrew, a five-word sermon, you guys are going down. That's, that's it. That's all, that's all he says. And, and we don't know what's going on with Jonah. We don't know if this, because this big thing has happened where this guy showed up on a beach. We don't know after being three days, three nights in, in the belly of a fish, if he's, you know, if gastric juices have bleached out his skin and hair. You know, we don't, we don't know if he's been acid washed or what he looks like. We don't know if word of Jonah has spread to the Ninevites before he got there or he just showed up and everything's new to them. We have no idea. But he gets there. He doesn't have a lot to say. Five words. And then verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he, he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. Now this is amazing because if you were to pick anybody on the map at this point in history, the people in Nineveh, they're the farthest from God. They're the enemy of God's people. They have, they filleted people alive. As we said last week, they, they skinned them and hung their skins over the walls of their city. They beheaded them and had great piles of heads on either side of the entrances into their cities. They put people, they impaled people on poles and, and put them up. They did all these things, and they did that to God's people, the Jewish people, Israel. And so they're the last people that would ever believe in God and, and turn from their ways and repent. But that's what they're trying to do. They're going, whoa. Somehow he gets, Jonah gets their attention, even though he's only saying, 40 days and you're going down. That's it. And... Uh, and they take this so seriously, because somehow God's prepared their hearts or whatever, that the whole city repents from, from the lowest street sweeper guy to the king. Everybody repents. And then it's not only did God impact the hearts of all these people through this message, but their repentance actually gets encoded into law. 
Here's how it continues in verse 7. And he, talking about the king, he issued a proclamation and it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing, and do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Their repentance is so complete. Okay, Jonah says, 40 days, you're going down. 40 days, you're dead, says God. They repent, and not only do they all repent, the entire city, which is freaky because it's huge, but then the king issues a decree. And even the animals are sort of to be in repentance, like, what did they do? You know, everybody. It's, it's, oh. And then he issues this decree. But notice the decree ends in a sentence. Ever hear a law? I mean, this is the king of Nineveh. And back in those days, when the king said something, it was law. I mean, it was live or die, do it or die kind of a thing. And here he says, hey, I want everybody to do this and this and this. And then, and then the decree, the law decree ends up and who knows? Maybe God will, will not kill us. That, that'd be like us today say, making a law and they pass it, you know, among the state legislature and it says something like, the speed limit out here is 65 miles an hour. And who knows? Somebody may actually follow that speed limit. You know, that's normally not what we tack on to a law, right? Well, that's what's happening because they already know they're in trouble with God, that this is going to happen, that it's been preached against them. And, uh, and then it cont- something surprising happens, verse 10. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Their repentance makes an impact on God. God sees that, and he doesn't follow through with what he said he was going to do because they repent. And this, by the way, is a good lesson for all of us that no matter where we are with God, when we get sidetracked, and we all do, in some specific area of our life where where we know we're going against God, which is rebellion against him, God is always calling us back He may discipline to bring us back, but he's always waiting for us to come back, and and that's what he wants us to do. And a lot of times, I'll I'll talk to people who who are in crisis mode because something has happened, and, and, and they would say that they're a Christian, not sure whether they would be or not, but they would say, hey, I'm a Christian, and then they'll tell me their story, what happened. Well, this is how our life's been going, and, uh, and it just kind of crumbled and fell apart, and we're in crisis mode, and we're getting a divorce, or we're doing this, or we're doing that. And I'll hear that story, and in that story, there is no room for God. There's no God in the story at all. It's just we do this, we do that, now this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And, and somehow in this meeting, I'm just trying to tell them, you need to make God a part of your story. You know, if either one of you had God in your life, it would change things. If, if you could both just 
try to follow him, it would be a completely different deal. Turn around, stop, repent, come to God, do the right thing. He's waiting for you. He wants connection with you, and he'll help you do the right thing. And, and some people are up for doing that, and, and some people are not. But God wants to do amazing things in our life. And uh, we just have to make room for him in our lives. So, so here's Jonah, this book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jesus refers to the book of Jonah during his ministry. And the question is, why is it there for us today? Why is that included small book uh, about a, a, an unusual prophet and a, a super evil, wicked city. Why is it there? Well, I think it's, it's to speak to us because we're all in our own way, Jonas. And, and really, to me, there's two major lessons that we can learn. First of all, God has commanded all of us to go. That's the New Testament. That's the Great Commission. That's what Jesus said before he was taken up into heaven is, Go, make disciples. That's for all of us. We're all, if you're a believer, God has given you a purpose, a mission, meaning in life, and it's to go and impact people and point people to God. So he's commanded all of us to go. It's, it's one of, go is one of the most fundamental verbs of the Christian faith, which is interesting because I think a lot of Christians and most non-Christians think maybe the fundamental verb of the Christian faith might be stop. Because they look at Christianity to like, oh, Christianity, oh, where you have to stop doing this and stop doing that and change that and change that, can't do that, can't do that, stop having fun, you know, stop, everything stops. And while it's good to stop doing what God says not to do, and that will be in our best interest, by the way, the most fundamental verb in the Christian faith is go. Christian discipleship is all about go, 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 make an impact, go. It, it's a movement. It's a happening. It's purpose. It's mission. That's the most fundamental verb in Christian discipleship. Go, make an impact. That's what God wants us to do. Have an outward focus. You know, we easily forget that, either from the demands of our life or just the comfort of our life. I mean, Jonah, you know, everything was going well for him until God commanded him to go, and then he went the other way. And I think for us, we get comfortable in our lives where we just get super busy and, and we don't hear God's command. We rebel against it. We ignore it, which is rebellion. And we're not doing what God's asking us to do. Maybe it's because we're comfortable. Well, what do you think is going to happen when God disciplines us for that? Well, he's probably going to make us uncomfortable if comfort is keeping us from doing this or whatever it is. And, and here's Jonah. He's asked to go to Sin City where people fillet people alive. Jonah's people, they fillet alive. What's our excuse? God's commanded each one of us to go just as surely as he commanded Jonah to go. And uh, 
And we just need to kind of dial in a little more on God's agenda for our lives. We talked about Kalahari. I don't want to keep hammering this, but, you know, I, I think here this is something our church is leading. It's not only the biggest event for our church, even though it's a student thing. It's the biggest event in our whole group of churches. Out of 250 churches, this is the biggest event in the whole thing. And we'll have teens in our own church not go. Not only if you're a teen should you be going, you should be trying to impact somebody else to go. Because God will not only use it for your life, he'll, he'll use it to impact others. We need to dial in to God's agenda for our life. So that's the first thing is, our first lesson is God's commanded us to go. And then the second lesson is this. When we go, we need to remember two things. When we go to other people to make an impact, we remember there are two things that us knowing will help us to be more effective in our evangelism. Now, evangelism is just a, a fancy word to say, talk to people about God, point them to God. But there are two things that we learn from this story that will help us to think about as we're doing that. And the first is that salvation is of the Lord. That's actually the last thing that Jonah prayed toward the end of chapter 2. The last phrase says salvation is of the Lord. We must go to people who don't know Jesus because God wants to save them. God loves them and cares about them. And God has decreed that he uses people to do that. Now, when I say that, hey, God has commanded you to go to tell other people about him. And, and, when you, and hopefully you're taking that very practically and thinking, okay, you mean like tomorrow or today, God wants me to do this. Right. And then the next thought in your head might be this, but I'm not very good at this. Anybody ever think that? Oh, wow, this is intimidating. I'm not very good at this. I don't feel comfortable. You're not very good at this? Look at Jonah. He's a prophet of God. You'd think he'd be good. He doesn't even want to go, right? Same thing. He doesn't want to go any more than you do. But then when he finally goes, he, he gives a sermon. It's five words long in the Hebrew. That's it. He doesn't tell them what to do, doesn't tell them they need to repent, doesn't give them any ideas. He just, five words, you're going down. 40 days, you're going down. That's it. He doesn't care. And then when they repent, then he's like, oh, no. I mean, on your worst day, you wouldn't do that, right? On your worst day, if you invited somebody to church and they said, okay, I'm going to go, you wouldn't go, oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, man, whoa. That's Jonah. That's, that's what he's doing. Here, here's what it says, in Jonah 4. Here's how he reacts. We'll pick it up. Jonah 4.1. But it greatly displeased Jonah. Why? Because they repented and God didn't destroy them. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? 
Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please just take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Boy, sunshiny guy, right? Man, they, his preaching works, and he's like, oh, knew it, just kill me now. Wow. Hey, on our worst day, we're not that bad. I'm telling you, God can use you. If he could use Jonah, he could use you, right? God's telling us that salvation is of the Lord. I mean, Jonah goes and does this, but these guys are the farthest people from God. But he's a little worried because he knows God's compassionate. These, these people might repent. No. And it happens. And that's, by the way, we need to remember this when we're talking to people today. Salvation is of the Lord, just what Jonah said. As a matter of fact, in John, in the New Testament, John 6, Jesus says this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Here's why this is important to us. Here's why we need to remember this. A lot of times, we're so intimidated to talk to people about God because we're thinking, what if it doesn't work? What if they don't respond? Salvation is of the Lord. Nobody comes to Christ without God doing a miracle in their heart. Nobody comes to Christ without the Holy Spirit drawing them, God drawing them, the Father, through the Holy Spirit in their heart. And so the decision they make, that's off of you. The weight of that is really off you. Your job is not to make sure they do it. Your job is just to do the best that you can. Whether they come to Christ, that's a God thing and them. Because salvation is of the Lord. You don't have to carry that kind of weight around with you. Let me say it a different way. If, if you were like Billy Graham, I mean, you, were, you knew how to give the best presentation of the gospel better than anybody in this room. I mean, that was you. And, and maybe we just don't know it, but you're like Billy Graham. God's got you like a secret agent planted in here, and, and you're just like, boom, man, you know it. You know the perfect thing to say. If God isn't in it, making an impact on that other, people, that other person's heart, they never come to Christ. It would never be effective, no matter how good you are. It's not on you. Your job is to be faithful and obedient and talk, tell, invite, point. The results, that's a God thing. Let me put it in personal terms. So some, sometimes I'm up here preaching, and you, know, and you guys could just imagine if you were doing this, but sometimes I'm up here preaching, and then after the sermon's over, I'm just like, ugh, it did not go the way I wanted it to go. And I, 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 and I am just like, ugh. I'm bummed. I mean, I, I'm, I don't show it to anybody else or I try not to, but I walk off this platform I am, or I go down there, I am bummed out. And then I'm saying something like this, God, I'm sorry. I just wasted this opportunity. And it bums me out. And, you know, if it's first service, I have a couple more shots, but I still wasted first service. 
you know, and, and, you know, and that's what I'm thinking. Man, I need to go back to my office and try to fix this thing. You know, this is terrible. What did I do? I'm sorry. That would crush me. The weight of that would crush me. If I didn't know that, yeah, that's all true, and yeah, I need to fix it, but, but really God can use anything. It's my responsibility to make it as good as I can, but God can use anything. And how God taught me that is sometimes after the sermon, the one that I just bombed, I mean, it was a flame out, it was, you know, terrible train wreck. And I'm just like, oh, man. And then I have to, you know, start interacting with people. And then how God taught me that somebody would come up and say, wow, Kevin, that really, God really spoke to me today. And then they'll say something and they'll say, I needed to hear that and specifically say what they needed to hear. And then I'm just reminded, oh, yeah, it's a God thing. As a matter of fact, every, every day I preach, uh, Sunday morning, I pray that God will help me be accurate to the text and interesting in the way I say it, because God's Word's never boring. Preachers can make it boring. So if I'm boring, it's not the Bible. The Bible's not boring at all. That would be me. And then the other thing is that that God, the Spirit of God would use it, that, that He would impact people's hearts, because it does not matter how good the presentation is. If the Spirit doesn't do the work, it means nothing. So take, salvation is of the Lord. Take that weight off of yourself. Just do your best. God's put you there for a reason. God has to work a miracle in somebody's heart for them to come. And God woos and wants people and loves people in. But they got to respond to God's call. God will use you. So faith, sorry, salvation is of the Lord. The second thing that we need to remember is faith comes by hearing. Faith, when people come to faith, it's because they've heard the news or what we call the gospel, which just means good news. As a matter of fact, Romans 10, 17 in the New Testament says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You see, we don't have to live in this paralyzing fear that if we mess it up or something, that's going to change somebody's eternal destiny. You know, they're going to, wow, I just messed everything up. No, just be faithful in what God's told you to do and let God work it out. That's what I'm telling you. And the weird thing is, is, God only uses human beings to speak his message of love. Do you get the irony in the story with Jonah? He doesn't want to do it, right? Then he totally rebels. And then God orchestrates this huge miracle where this fish, and we don't seem to know a fish like that, so maybe that's an extinct fish or a fish, you know, who knows. But God does this huge miracle, grabs this fish, puts him in his stomach, He's there for three days, vomits him up onto the beach to reroute him. You're thinking, why is God going through all this trouble? If God's going to do a miracle like that, it'd be a more simple miracle to just write the gospel in the clouds. But God doesn't do that. God wants to communicate through human beings. And by the way, that's not just in the Old Testament. We see the same thing in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the first four books of the Gospels are just four different eyewitness records from the first century of Jesus Christ's life. And then the next book in the Bible, the fifth book, is called Acts, and that's how the church spreads. And so when you look at Acts, it's very interesting. You look, for example, in Acts 8, and that's a story of there's this 
Ethiopian government official that's been to Jerusalem, and now he's heading back to Africa. Now, the church, Jesus has just rose from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. The message of the gospel is just spreading. And this, this official from Ethiopia is reading the book of Isaiah, and he doesn't get it, and, and God wants him to get it. And so God grabs Philip and transports Philip, who's somewhere else, to the road where the guy on the chariot is with all his entourage because he's a government official, and where he's walking along with the chariot. Teleports a guy, Philip. And then Philip notices, because normally people read out loud back then, or actually up until about 200 years ago, everybody read out loud, and he's reading. And then Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, no, I don't understand anything about this Isaiah. This guy's confusing. Some of us have thought the same thing. And he said, well, come on up. And, and so Philip comes up. He rides in the chariot. He explains Isaiah and how that's all prophecy that's come true in Christ. And the guy believes, and pretty soon they come by some water, and he says, well, what keeps me from being baptized? Nothing. He gets baptized. All this is happening just on his way back to Africa, and then Philip's taken out of there again. So do you ever wonder, well, if God's going to do a miracle to teleport Philip to talk to, it'd be easier if God just had an angel go tell the guy. But God doesn't work that way. That's Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 9, we have a guy named Saul, who's later known as Paul. He's going around persecuting the church, killing people for following Jesus. And he's on his way to Damascus looking for other followers of Christ. And all of a sudden, God does a miracle and blinds him. Blinds him. And confronts him. And talks to him. Why are you doing this? You know, he's blinded and then God's talking to him. But God doesn't share the gospel with him. God just puts him on ice for a while, slows him down. He's blind, he can't do much. Then God goes and gets another guy named Ananias, and he tells Ananias, hey, you go to this Paul guy and share with him the gospel. And Ananias is going, whoa, are you sure we got the right guy? Saul, Paul, that guy, the guy that's killing the church, you want me to go to the, yeah, that guy. And so then he goes and explains to Paul the gospel. Well, if God's going to do a miracle, blind him, and then speak to him from heaven, why not just tell him the gospel? No, doesn't do that. He goes and gets another guy who kind of is fearful to do it and has him do it. That's Acts chapter 9. And then in Acts chapter 10, you have the same kind of thing. This Roman guy named Cornelius, he has learned a lot about the Jewish God, and he's respectful of God, but he doesn't know the gospel. He doesn't know really how to come to Christ. And so he's kind of thinking about that and praying to that. And, and then at the very same time, one of the disciples, Peter, he's up praying on the rooftop of his house. And then God gives him a vision. And it's a weird vision. It's like a sheet, like a blanket. And it's filled with unclean animals that the Jewish people in the Old Testament were not allowed to eat. So this sheet descends, descends, it's filled with all these animals. He's looking at that, freaky, what's going on here? And then there's this voice that says, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord. Those are all the people that the Old Testament law said not to do that. No, of course I wouldn't do that. And it says it again and again. And what's happened, by the way, that's where the whole pigs in a blanket came from is right there in the Bible. But, uh, but Peter's like, he's having none of it. He didn't want to do it. But what God's saying is, hey, those Old Testament laws were to keep you separate. Now, those divisions are gone. You don't have to worry about interacting with non-Jewish people, Gentiles. 
And then all of a sudden, God puts Cornelius and Peter together. And about the time he's done with that prayer and seeing that vision, Cornelius is knocking on the door. And then he tells him, hey, here's my thing. Wait, why is God doing all these miracles just to get one guy to tell one guy the gospel? Why not just tell the gospel? Why don't I just write it in the clouds, have an angel show up, explain it, whatever? Because God uses people to point others to him. Ordinary people. People like you, people like me, he uses us to do that. Even though he's doing these miraculous things, that is unusual. That normally doesn't happen. It still comes down to one person telling one other person. He chooses to use people just like us. And then the question is, will you obey? I'm just saying, God's given us a mission purpose. Think about that today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday. Just last Monday, my day off, I was thinking that we have a downstairs shower and need to be remodeled, like a whole new shower, put in one of those glass doors and stuff. And, and Pam says, Kevin, please don't do this yourself. So I get a bid for somebody to come and do this for me because my wife believes I'm incompetent. And so he, this guy comes over and we're talking and he's kind of given a bid and, and you know, we're doing this. And then I'll, I could tell this guy's kind of struggling. He's just a young dad and we start talking. And I could tell he's kind of in a, a bad spot. He, he was saying this. And all of a sudden we're talking about God. I mean, it wasn't forced, and he wasn't objecting. He was totally comfortable with talking about God. We start talking about God. We talk about the gospel, invited him to church. You know, he had been to church, so he had heard the gospel before. You know, but he had got out of the habit and talking about how, you know, raising kids and just all these things going on in his life, and, you know, he's not fulfilled in what he's doing and just all this stuff. But I'm just saying, well, it just happened naturally. It wasn't even forced. Just be open to God's agenda for your life. But by the time we were done, super nice guy, he was more interested in the side conversation that we were having than he was about making the sale. You could tell it just didn't really matter to him. He's financially okay and didn't really care. The conversation was more important to him. Will you go? With, God's anything, with God, anything is possible. Will you obey him? And when you hear us talking about things like, hey, we got this, you know, initiative, you've been gifted, we're going to blanket our community with random acts of generosity that might point them to God. What we're doing is we're just giving you one tool to help you be obedient to God. You don't have to use that tool. You could share the gospel. You can invite people. We're just… The point is God's called us to make sure people hear Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We've got to make sure people hear. And that's what we're called to do. And so if you could just do that, do it. If you need a little help with a you've been gifted card or some just way to be generous to other people, and, and you can pay for a meal or somebody's gas like Zach mentioned earlier, or you could wrap up a nice gift and give, give to somebody that you kind of know, and you have an excuse so they won't feel like they have to give it back. Oh, this is something our church is doing. 
Just do something. That's what God wants us to do. Next Sunday, we start our Christmas series, Simply Christmas. Great time to invite people. And then the next weekend after that, that's Christmas Eve weekend. As you heard, Saturday service, changing our morning service times a little bit, just two services in the morning, then two later in the day. That's what's happening two weeks from now. Use these opportunities to impact people around you for God. That's what God wants for you. That's the purpose God has given you and me. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the day. Thanks for loving us. And Lord, we thank you for just the opportunity to give us that, that you've given us a mission that has eternal significance. You've given us a mission that, that makes an eternal impact. Lord, you've made us players in your agenda and what you do in the lives of people in the world. God, we're humbled by that, and we thank you for that. And help us all, all of us, to be obedient to your call in this area. And Father, for those who are here with us, our friends, neighbors, uh, who aren't your followers, Father, we pray that somehow, even though this message was a little bit different and talking about a guy named Jonah, which is maybe hard to believe for them, Lord, that they would continue to, to search and seek you and that they would come back and hear more about you in the next couple weeks. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.